You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. And we're going to jump in tonight. We're in our series, Arise and Build, out of the book of Nehemiah. And some messages, uh, they come together real easily. This one uh, was harder for me to really kind of nail down. And when you're going through a series, sometimes that happens. Is, and that's the great thing about expository preaching, is that you're not selecting what to preach on. So uh, it's actually, it's a good thing. It protects you and me from the moments of emotion. If I want to really preach on something, well, the text tells me what to preach, and in the end, I think we just trust that the Lord knows what we need to hear in the moment, and uh, I think this will be a, a help to us tonight, but uh, I, I hope that you'll be open to whatever applications there are. Nehemiah chapter 5, we were in this passage, we, we looked at the first five verses last week, or two weeks ago, I think, and we'll look kind of at the next section here as we go. Nehemiah chapter 5, it says in verse 1, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. That's not a good sign. For there were that said, we are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring unto bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And the problem here is that the rich were oppressing the poor. They were charging them taxes, they were... They were enslaving even their children if they couldn't afford to pay their taxes. It's a bad situation. Look at verse 6, Nehemiah's response. And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Then I consulted with myself. It's a good process to go through. And I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said unto them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother. And I said a great assembly against them. And I said unto them, We after our ability have redeemed our brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold unto us? Then they held their peace and found nothing to answer. What Nehemiah is saying is that we spent our money to redeem the Jews from slavery. And now you're turning around and enslaving them. Verse 9, and this is kind of the key verse tonight. Also, I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? I likewise, and my brethren and my servants, might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the corn, the wine and the oil that ye exact of them. Then said they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them 
that they should do according to this promise. Also I shook my lap and said, So God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise, even thus be he shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the promise did according, sorry, and the people did according to this promise. So we're going to be looking at this passage tonight out of Nehemiah 5, and I'm calling it tonight, Losing Our Distinction. Losing Our Distinction. How we behave, our fear of the Lord and our actions in front of the heathen either help us to keep our distinction or cause us to lose our distinction. Let's pray and ask God to help our service tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the word. I pray that you bless the reading of it, and I pray that you'd help us to be open whatever it is that you want to teach us and convict us of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, as I already mentioned, uh, a few weeks ago when we were here in Nehemiah 5, we looked at this issue among the people while Nehemiah is trying to lead them to build the wall. This issue has arisen among the people. And there are plenty of factors that contribute to the strife. The first is that there wasn't enough infrastructure yet in the country around Jerusalem to meet the demands of the population growth. If you can imagine, all of these people have moved back to Jerusalem all at once and, and there isn't enough food to feed everybody. They don't have the infrastructure in place to give everybody food. The land couldn't keep up with the demands. Not only that, but it says in verse 3 there had been a dearth and that is a famine. And that obviously then would also affect the food supply. Another problem that they were having is in Verse 4, and we already read it, but they're, they're borrowing money to pay the tribute, to pay the taxes to King Artaxerxes, who had control over the region at this time. So they're having to borrow money. There's not enough food. And not only that, then, the final pro problem is happening uh, from the poor, between the poor and the rich, in that the poor didn't have enough money for food. So they would have to borrow money from their rich neighbors, and the rich were then charging the poor inordinate amounts of interest on personal loans and if they were poor and they didn't have money they couldn't pay that pay it back so then because they couldn't pay it back then they would bring their children and their families literally to the rich families and give them to the rich families as slaves as indentured servants until they could pay the interest back or pay the loan back and if you can imagine uh, they were taking such advantage of the poor. They were charging interest at such uh, inordinate amounts that the poor could never pay it back. And the rich then just had indentured servants ready to serve them for a long time, years probably. So you have these groups of people at odds. Those with large families that couldn't afford food. Those who were forced to sell their property to buy food because of the famine. Those who didn't have property and they, then they would sell themselves to have food. And then you have the selfish rich leaders that were oppressing the people instead of showing grace. That's kind of in a nutshell what's happening here. And there's a huge contention among these groups of people. And because they aren't dealing with each other properly... Nehemiah has to then take off his construction hat and put on his referee hat. He has to start helping the people to deal with this issue because Nehemiah knows and any leader knows that it's not really the outside forces that scare you the most about stopping the work. It's what could happen on the inside. And really there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of oppression and there are things that could come from the outside but Eastside Baptist Church, 
as, a, as your pastor, I'm much more concerned with what the devil could do to, str- to stir up the inside, what he could do within these walls, than I am the oppression that could come from the outside. The work came to this a halt because the people could, weren't dealing with the problem properly, but maybe I should say they weren't dealing with the problem biblically. Let's start then just as a review. They were charging interest to their fellow Jews, and that was against the law of Moses. It doesn't take long to read Exodus twenty-two twenty-five. It's just one verse that talks about this, and it says, If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as, a, as an usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You should not be somebody charging interest to your brothers, the Jews, your fellow Israelites. You should not be charging interest to them. It's clearly stated not to do that, but they were ignoring God's word, following their own plan for their own gain. And then because they were charging interest that couldn't be paid, then they were enslaving each other, which was also against the law of Moses. Leviticus chapter 25 says this, If thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant, but an hired servant. And there's a difference between the two. A bondservant would be like a slave. A hired servant would be like somebody you hire to serve you. There's a difference between the two. And the reason is that God says, for they are my servants which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen. So you have these two major issues where people are, are skirting the law of Moses and they're charging interest to their poor brethren and they're even enslaving their poor brethren and, and, and they're going against God's law, God's word. Last time when we were in this passage, we applied this to Christian enslavement. And instead of focusing on money and, and actual transactions like that, real debt, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus Christ said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. See, we have a tendency, and you and I, we're, oh, we can all be guilty of this, we have a tendency to, uh, to demand or enslave each other when someone owes us a debt uh, or an offense. We have a tendency to, rather than releasing them from the debt, we hold on to it when they wrong us. We find it difficult to release the debt and forgive the debt. But in the same way that charging interest and taking slaves was wrong among the Jews, it is wrong for God's people to refuse to release and forgive a debt that some other Christian brother or sister owes you. A lack of forgiveness is wrong. It's a sin. It is against God's law, the New Testament law of forgiveness, and how Jesus Christ has forgiven us in a certain way, and we should forgive, forgive others in the same way. Listen, there are always opportunities for offense. We can find an, an offense in just about every conversation. We can find an, find an offense in every unanswered text, in every sideways look, in every perceived look, in every dealing with our children, in any word unfitly spoken. We can find offense in it. But what we have to realize is, is until we learn to, through Christ, forgive our debts as we've been forgiven, the work of, among God's people stops. Here it is. God's, God's trying to get something accomplished through Nehemiah. He's trying to build the walls around Jerusalem. And Nehemiah has this task at hand. And the kingdom should be advancing. But Nehemiah has to stop everything and deal with contention. He has to stop everything and deal with this major issue. The work has to stop. That's what's happening here in Nehemiah 5. 
the work on the wall, the reason for coming back to Jerusalem in the first place is, comes to a screeching halt. Nothing is done until this issue is resolved. And that's a terrible side effect. Because we're here to do God's work. I mean, Eastside Baptist Church, I don't know, I mean, what your understanding of the reason for a church existing is, but it's not a social club. It's not just so we can get together and have something to do on Sundays and Wednesday nights. It's not just to kind of entertain us or keep us busy. I don't know about you. I don't have any problem keeping myself busy the rest of the week. I mean, to have something else that just busy work, I'm not interested in that. No, we are part of Eastside Baptist Church because we are here to promote and advance the work of God. That's what we're doing. Internal strife will stop that every single time. But that's not the only terrible side effect when God's people don't deal with strife properly. Look at verse 9, and I read this, I highlighted it as we read along. Look what Nehemiah says to the nobles. He said, also I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? Well, that's a pretty, I mean, he asks a question, but it's pretty direct. And he's saying, shouldn't you be walking in the fear of God? because of how our dealings with each other are affecting God's name. We are a reproach to our enemies because of how we're dealing with each other. We ought to walk in the fear of God because when we don't, our dealing with each other brings a reproach on God's name. And what he's saying is that their poor dealings with each other are a terrible testimony to the lost around them. A reproach is a cause for shame It's a cause for scorning. There was already enough reason for the heathen of the land to hate the Jews. They didn't want them there. Their their presence in Jerusalem meant they were going to lose control of the region again. The Jews were a major threat to the tribes, those heathen tribes. There were already all kinds of scorn and shame and, and threats being made to them. And now they're looking at, here's what's happening. I mean, Nehemiah and the people come back and they're saying, we represent God and God is different than your gods and we're going to build this wall and we're going to reestablish the strength of Jehovah here in Jerusalem. And yet the next day or whenever this happens, suddenly you start to hear among, it's a rumbling that they're not, the work has stopped because they can't get along anymore. They're fighting with each other. There's strife internally. And in the heathens' minds, they're thinking, They're charging interest and they're taking slaves and doing it to make money. That means they're no different than anybody else. Their God is no different than any other God. That's what they're thinking. That's a shame. It's a shame, folks. I mean, it's a reproach that when God's people deal with each other in an ungodly way, it has terrible effects. And the first effect we saw a few weeks ago was that the work stops. But the second effect found in verse 9 is that the world sees The work stops and the world sees it. When we ignore God's word and we deal with each other in our own wisdom and in our own ways and we ignore his instruction, it does major damage to God's work and God's name. The work stops and the world sees. The rich folks are taking advantage of the poor who owed them these debts. They were operating by their own wisdom and how they were doing it. They were dealing with the situation without God's instructions. They were ignoring God's laws, and they were essentially setting themselves up to create their own law. They had become the, their lawmakers. They had become the lawgivers. They were doing things in their own wisdom and in their, in their own ways. God's instruction 
And we could go back and read it again. I already read the verses. God's instruction on taxation, or I'm sorry, on interest in slavery was pretty clear. But by ignoring God's instructions on the matters, the strife ensued. And I want you to keep your place here in Nehemiah chapter 5, but turn over to James chapter 3 with me. Turn over to James chapter 3, and I think what we're seeing here is a great illustration of a principle here in James chapter 3 that, uh, that's pretty hard to deny when you think about it. James chapter 3. It says in James chapter 3, verse 14. Actually, let's go verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, Devilish, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So let's just think about the situation in Nehemiah chapter 5. Would you say that the situation in Nehemiah 5, there's a great cry, the rich and the poor are fighting, and there's a contention, and there's issue, and there's, there's interest, and there's slavery. Would you say that that follows with the effects of earthly wisdom in, in verses 13, 14, 15, and 16? Think about it again. Here we go. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, was there bitter envying and strife happening in Nehemiah chapter 5? Absolutely. He says, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Would you say that in Nehemiah 5, there's confusion? Would you say there's strife? Would you say there is evil work happening? Absolutely. Listen, the result of us trying to operate in our own wisdom is always strife. And when there's strife among God's people, the work stops and the world sees. Here's what happens. See, when we operate in our own wisdom, we lose our distinction. When we operate in our own wisdom, we lose our distinction. Meaning, the one thing that separates God's people from the world is that God's people operate in God's wisdom and therefore they have different outcomes. The world operates in earthly wisdom. Well, how do we know the difference? Well, the results speak for themselves. How do you know there's worldly wisdom? Well, according to James 3, you've got strife and you've got confusion and you have every evil work. And Nehemiah is a perfect example of strife and confusion in every evil work. The results of the effort indicate that earthly wisdom was the driving the vehicle. They were just along for the ride and earthly wisdom it was driving because there's strife and confusion and evil work and bitter envying. But look at the result of God's wisdom in verse 17. Just compare the two. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Well, these sound like two totally separate situations, don't they? See, the result of God's wisdom, and folks, I just want you to understand, the result of God's wisdom is peace. So if there's not peace in a situation, God's wisdom is not driving the bus. God's, God's wisdom results in peace. It results in gentleness. 
It results in compliance, easy to be entreated. In other words, you're not like trying to pull teeth, trying to get people to get on board and, and help out. No, no, compliance, that's easy to be entreated. And the other word he uses, full of mercy. There's no mercy happening in Nehemiah 5 because earthly wisdom was driving the bus. If the result of this situation had been peaceful and gentle and people showing each other mercy, we know that God's wisdom is at work. But the bitter envying and strife and confusion was a dead giveaway that earthly wisdom was ruling the people in Nehemiah chapter 5. They were not operating according to God's wisdom, the one that they follow, and they had lost their distinction because of it. There was no difference between them and the lost around them. So Nehemiah, that's why he tells them back in Nehemiah 5 and verse 9 that the result of their dealings with each other had put them on the same level as the heathens around them. There was a reproach. We expect strife and bitterness and envying when the lost deal with each other. That's what we expect, isn't it? I mean, if you, live, if you work in, a, in an environment where, where you're around lost people, if you're in an environment around lost you expect there to be envy. You expect there to be strife. You expect there to be bitterness. But when that's the result of God's people dealing with each other, then God's wisdom is nowhere near it. They're fighting about interests. They're angry about slavery and God's reputation the whole time. God's name is being dragged through the mud. It's a reproach. What Nehemiah is saying is we've lost our distinction because we left God out of the process. You could say it this way. When we leave God out of our lives and we do things our way, we lose our distinction before the world. How God's people deal with each other, that's our distinction. I mean, I would expect... Listen, our, our distinction should be peace. When people come and they see the members of Eastside Baptist Church interacting with each other, they, there should be peace. I mean, on Tuesday night, if we have some young people come up here and, and work and get ready for the rummage sale, like if, if a brawl ba- breaks out, like, I mean, I'd probably be recording it, but, you know, just for, you know, just to watch it later maybe, But you know, if that happens, that's not what you expect from a church. You know, if if at our, the the next time we have a fellowship and there's one piece of chicken left, I mean, it it starts to get dangerous. We're talking about that. If things start getting thrown and food starts getting thrown around and and a fight breaks out, you know, that's not what you expect. Well, I mean, fried chicken is pretty good, but I'm not sure it's worth all that. That's not what you expect from God's people. You know, and honestly, it doesn't surprise me uh, when I read in South Carolina last night, there's a shooting in a nightclub. I mean, I hate it. And it's terrible. And if people lose their lives, but listen, in a nightclub, in some ways, I expect that kind of stuff to break out, which is why a Christian should have no place in a place like that. I, I halfway expect it to be like that. But in God's house, among God's people, our distinction should be peace. I mean, a giving spirit uh, as opposed to a desire to take advantage of each other. Listen, the world, they're out there trying to take advantage of each other. They're doing everything they can to get ahead. And they're going to do whatever they can in a workplace environment to step on you, to get higher on, on the ladder, the corporate ladder. But you shouldn't find that here. There shouldn't be that kind of, of worldly pride and, and, and that kind of advancement in our kingdoms here. 
No, there shouldn't, there are no kingdoms here. We serve God's kingdom. Worldly wisdom convinces people to get what they can out of every relationship, but God's word teaches us to be selfless givers. Our relationships with each other should be peaceful. There shouldn't be strife. But if there is strife, folks, if there is strife, you can guarantee that earthly wisdom, not godly wisdom, is the driving force. There should be grace. There should be kindness. Those are our distinctions. We should get along. That's our distinction. There should be ample amounts of forgiveness. That's our distinction. You won't find much forgiveness in our culture. I mean, you think about these days. Instead, we live in a cancel culture. And if you don't know what that means, that basically means if anybody says anything that you don't agree with, you officially cancel them by calling them out on social media and getting other people to stop supporting them. No one's allowed to disagree with your opinion anymore. And if you do, you are canceled. It's a cancel culture. That's the culture we live in. But when we leave God's wisdom out of the process, we'll lose our distinction as God's people. And we'll, we'll just, I, I mean, I can just see it. We will it devolve into a cancel culture even here at church. Well, they don't, I don't like what they said about me and, and they don't like what I said about them. I don't care. I'll cancel them. I'll talk about them. I'll make sure everybody's on my side. And pretty soon you've got strife and envy and bitterness and every evil work. Confusion. That's what's happening here in Nehemiah 5. They were approached reproach to the heathen because the heathen were saying they're no different than us their god must be no different than our gods listen when we deal with each other like the world deals with each other we lose our distinction when we fight and you say well we're grown-ups here i mean come on we're grown-ups and we're adults here and there's there's no fighting among church people i don't know how long you've been at church but like when we fight, we lose our distinction. When we backbite, we lose our distinction. When we gossip, it's a loss of distinction. When we take advantage of each other, when we seek gain at somebody else's expense, we've officially lost our distinction because our actions reflect our God and they either glorify God or they cancel Him. You see, Christians that live according to earthly wisdom, they create their own cancel culture. Only they're not canceling somebody else. They're canceling the effect that God can have on the world around them. Because instead of Matthew 5, 16, which says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And when we operate in our own wisdom and earthly wisdom, it hides the light under a bushel and makes the world say, why would I want what they have? They have nothing different than what I have. At work or at the bar or at the club or at the gym, or in my own family reunions. Listen, why would I want that? Um, we cancel out our effectiveness. We become our own cancel culture when we, when we stop living according to God's wisdom and we live according to the world's wisdom. And I just have to ask, what assumptions about God do others make based on your actions? What assumptions about God do others make based on your actions? On your words, what assumptions do they make about your God based upon your words? What assumptions do they make about God based upon your attitude at work? The, the, what assumptions do they make about God based upon the things you talk about in the, in the break room with the other employees? 
What assumptions do they make about God based on your critical spirit or your actions and your words toward other people in your church family? What assumptions do they make about God? If someone looks at the relationships between the people of Eastside Baptist Church and if they see anything other than peace and mercy and gentleness and kindness, then we have canceled our distinction. Our distinction is only found when we deal with life in each other based on God's instructions. And that's Nehemiah's message. When we operate in earthly wisdom, the work stops and the world sees. And it causes God's people to lose their distinction. It cancels their testimony. We become our own cancel culture. So what, did, what does Nehemiah do then? Well, I, if I'm in a situation like this in my flesh, I likely would respond with earthly wisdom. I, I would likely respond to earthly wisdom with more earthly wisdom. And I'm saying, okay, they're upset or they're mad and you know, they're doing this and these people are wrong. Well, I'm going to go let them have it. That's probably how I would naturally choose. If I wasn't thinking clearly, that's probably what I would do. I would respond with more of the same. Anger and retribution and overreaction. But I'm thankful that Nehemiah gives us a glimpse in how to fix earthly wisdom problems. And it's not more of the same. You don't fix earthly wisdom with more earthly wisdom. You fix earthly wisdom with a, go, with a good dose of godly wisdom. See, the only solution is something distinct. I just want you to look at the steps Nehemiah takes here. This is good practical stuff. In verse 6, Nehemiah 5, go back over there. Look what Nehemiah does in verse 6. He responds with righteous anger. I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Now, I want you to understand, this is not a fleshly anger. This is a righteous anger. And Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.26, he says, Be ye angry and sin not. What he's saying is it's possible to be angry on God's behalf and not sin in anger. You can be righteously anger over something that is an affront or an offense to God. And listen, I imagine what I imagine here when it says that Nehemiah was very angry when he heard their cry in these words because of their, their, their offense toward righteousness. I think about Jesus Christ in the temple, clearing out the temple, and that God's house was used so inappropriately, it stirred him up. And Nehemiah here, he gets so angry that God's law has been grievously broken as it has. He's angry, but he's righteous. He's angry, but he's not sinning. And listen, the world's wisdom, worldly wisdom gets angry when it has been offended, when, when it looks bad, when it has been embarrassed, when it has been made to feel shame. But godly wisdom says be angry when God's righteousness has been offended. And he's angry. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure he's angry on the behalf of the people that are being taken advantage of. But he's angry because God's righteousness is being offended. His law is being ignored and skirted. But does he overreact? Well, look at verse 7. It says, then I consulted with myself. What a great example. I'm, I'm just thinking about dads tonight. Listen, when we're angry about some sin that our children do or some decision they make... Um, we have to be careful, and I'm only talking about dads, but it can apply to moms as well, is that we stop for a minute. And before we deal with the offense, we practice some self-control. 
So he starts by being righteously angry, but then he practices self-control. He consults with himself. I love the phrase. I imagine this is a little bit like counting to ten. You ever find yourself, you need to count to ten before you deal with something? You're taking some time. Go take a walk, go blow off some steam, and then come back to it. Listen, it's always best to, to, to take time before you respond in anger. Earthly, you know what earthly wisdom says? Earthly wisdom, if it's driving Nehemiah's bus right here, earthly wisdom says, no, you, go, you just go blow your top because that's going to feel really good to say all the things that you want to say to those nobles. That's going to feel the best. You go blow your top and you lose it and you yell at them and get it all out. That feels good. Earthly wisdom. But godly wisdom says, no, wait a minute. Consult with yourself. Proverbs 18, 13, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. And can I say as a dad and as a husband, many times in my marriage and in my life as a dad to my children, I've answered a, a matter before I fully understood a matter, and it was a folly and shame to me. And if I had just simply stopped and consulted myself, stopped and taken some time and waited a minute, rather than just jumping in, I probably could have prevented some serious embarrassment and damage potentially even to my wife or my children. Godly wisdom says stop. Earthly wisdom says you just jump in and you enjoy it. No, godly wisdom says wait a minute. Look at 7 again, verse 7. Here's the next thing he does is then I consulted with myself and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said unto them, the exact usury, everyone is of his brother, and I set a great assembly, assembly against them. So listen, he confronts those guilty of the offense. So he starts with righteous anger, but he does it with self-control, and then he confronts the guilty ones of the offense. He doesn't let it linger. He doesn't go, and you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't go around talking about how bad the nobles were and how much they'd blown it and he, how he can't believe they'd done it. No, he doesn't go around talking to everybody else about it. Proverbs 26, 20 says, Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out, so where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceaseth. And we've got to be careful in a situation like this that we don't go tell this person and that person and that person and that person when this person right here is the one that's done the offense, what we ought to do, the biblical thing to do, is to go directly to the person that has committed the offense. Earthly wisdom says, tell everybody else. Well, you just get it out. You talk about it behind their backs. You get everybody on your side. You go cancel them. But godly wisdom practices open biblical confrontation. Nehemiah didn't go around it. He didn't skirt it. He didn't run from it. No, he, he confronted it head on. Like Jesus Christ recommended to his own disciples in Matthew 18. He said, listen, if there's an offense, you drop everything and you go to the person. And you deal with it directly. And honestly, folks, if I could say one thing I think we need to improve on is if there is an offense that's worth holding on to, don't let it linger. Deal with it. And I don't mean confront it with anger. I don't mean confront it in your flesh. Confront it with a spirit of love. But deal with it. Yeah, listen, if it's worth talking to somebody else in the church about, then it's worth talking to the person who committed the offense in the first place. It's not a biblical approach to deal with something um, when somebody else isn't there to talk about an offense that they've done. Biblical confrontation. 
Nehemiah practices this, not in the flesh, not out of control. You go to the person, you explain the offense, and you give them a chance to fix it. You say, well, they're just not going to hear me. Well, you'll never know that until you go deal with it biblically. Look what else happens here is that Nehemiah then gives them truth. Look at verse 8. And I said unto them, we, after our ability, we have redeemed our brethren the Jews. We've done what we could, we were, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold unto us? Then they held their peace, and they found nothing to answer. And then also I said, it is not good that you do, ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God, because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? You know, Nehemiah comes, and he gives them truth. You know, Nehemiah doesn't come and call them names. Now, that's probably what his flesh wanted to do. He wanted to let him have it. He wanted to call him names. You know, he starts with righteous anger. He practices self-control. He confronts the guilty, those that are guilty of the offense, head on. And then he gives them truth. He's not operating with emotions flying. He's giving them truth. He uses logic. He uses truth. He clearly explains the wrong. And earthly wisdom will tell you. You know what earthly wisdom says? He says, you go let them have it. Let your emotions attack them. Make them feel it. Make them hurt. But godly wisdom says, no, give them truth. Truth is what makes people free. According to John chapter 8. Jesus Christ's own words. And after this, after righteous anger and self-control and confrontation and then giving them truth, you know what he does? He seeks restoration. Look at verse 11. Restore. I pray you, restore. I pray you to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, their houses, also the hundredth part of the, of the money and of the corn, the wine and the oil that ye exact of them. You know what? We should always seek restoration. In a situation like this where there's a strife and there's an offense, and yes, we're angry, but we're practicing self-control and we are confronting those guilty and we're giving them truth, we don't leave it hanging. No, we say, no, we want restoration. We want this to be fixed. The end of every confrontation. And here's, I think, where we mess up sometimes, especially those of us who might like a good confrontation sometimes. See, in, in many people's minds, a confrontation that's the end in itself. You just want to confront and get it off your chest and let them know they bother you and let them know they, that you got angry with them. But that is never a biblical end to confrontation. A biblical end to confrontation is always restoration. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one with a, in a spirit of meekness considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Nehemiah isn't making them pay for their wrongs. Uh, he wants things to be made right. And we should always seek restoration above retribution. Earthly wisdom wants to keep the wound open. Earthly wisdom wants to milk the offense. But godly wisdom says make things right. Restore the relationship to how it's supposed to be. A, a godly wisdom is not content with leaving it open-ended, with no closure and no restoration. No, we should always. Godly wisdom seeks restoration every time. And then in order to help the process, look at verses 12 and 13. Then said they, these are the nobles, and I love it, because the godly wisdom being introduced here, look at the response they have. We will restore them. And will require nothing of them, so will we do as thou sayest. I mean, listen, when you come, and I know we, we sell people short. 
because we think they're never going to hear us. They've offended me, and I want to deal with it, but they're not going to hear it. And so we, have, we, we just don't deal with it. But listen, when we do the process that God lays out, and we go to them in righteous anger, and we have self-control, and we're not under the control of our emotions, we simply go and we give them something, we biblically confront them with a spirit of meekness and a spirit of self-control, and in confronting them, we give them truth, and in giving them truth, then we, we, we uh, con- we seek restoration, then after we seek restoration, look what happens. The response of these people is, you know what, you're right. God's wisdom works. And they say, Nehemiah, whatever it is you ask us to do, we're going to do it. We've been wrong. And then he introduces, he says, then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to the promise. He says, you're going to make a promise here. You're going to make an oath. You're going to vow a vow. And then he, he does something, it seems like what, something one of the prophets, the major or minor prophets would do. They have these object lessons. He says, I shook my lap. I don't know what that means. I'm not going to try to demonstrate it for you today. I tried it in my office and, and I was like, yeah, that, that should not be made public. I shook my lap. And said, so God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise. Even thus be he shaken out and emptied. You know what he does? He says, listen, I want you to be restored. I want things to be made right. But I'm going to give you some accountability. He makes him make a promise. And, and they'll get, they're going to take the steps necessary for restoration. And he shakes his garment and he lets them know that him and God are watching and they will be kept accountable to the oath. Godly wisdom knows that people need to be accountable if they're truly going to change. People need accountability. Nobody likes accountability, but accountability is how you know, uh, how you keep people uh, engaged in changing. I remember a few years back um, when my wife and I and, and Brother Samuel here, we ran a half marathon uh, together, and there were plenty of those mornings we were meeting at 530 at Boomer Lake in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And listen, if I, did, if I didn't know that Samuel was going to be there waiting on me, I would not have gotten up and gotten out of bed. But I didn't want him running alone. I mean, he's, he's, he'd be scared and in danger. And Aaron needed to be there to protect the both of us. So, But you know, accountability helps you make those kind of decisions. And Nehemiah is saying, well, you make a vow that you're going to seek restoration. I'm not looking for this just to be done with a confrontation. We want restoration, and accountability helps people get there. Listen, this situation, this situation here could have ruined the whole project. The walls could have never been built because of this internal strife, and that's more dangerous to the work of God, as I already mentioned, than anything from the outside coming in. But I want you to notice here in this situation what started as chaos, what started with strife, What started with bitterness, it ends with lawbreakers making a vow to make it all right again. And what happened? What was introduced to change it? Well, earthly wisdom was set aside and godly wisdom was introduced. And when God's wisdom steps in, it turns chaos into peace. It transforms bitterness into forgiveness. It turns strife into unity. It turned a reproach back into a distinction. And I ask today, have we lost our distinctions? 
I mean, when God's people operate with the world's wisdom, we lose what makes us distinct. So in what ways are you operating in your own wisdom instead of God's? We've just seen an example of how God's wisdom changes everything. So in what ways are you operating in your own wisdom instead of God's? Is there some situation in your life that's full of strife or envy? Do you have major bitterness towards somebody else? Is there somebody in your life that you can't even speak without strife? Is there a person in your life that you cannot speak peaceably to or you can't speak peaceably about? And if that, if that is true, then your relationship with them is being driven by earthly wisdom. Because that's, that's the result of earthly wisdom. Strife, confusion, every evil work. Well, maybe it's time to start working toward restoration in some relationship that's been broken. Every time you try, it turns into a mess. And maybe it's because you're doing it in your wisdom or you're trying it in earthly wisdom. And it's time to introduce God's wisdom into the situation because when God's wisdom steps in, just like Nehemiah did here, it changes everything. It's the only way to fix a problem based on earthly wisdom. Folks, our distinction is in our, in our actions toward each other. And I think that the work of Eastside Baptist Church is every bit as important as building walls around Jerusalem. I think God looks at it too that way. But if we don't deal with each other in a godly manner, then we have lost our distinction. And honestly, our community would say, why would I want what they have? Because I can get that down at the bar. And I could get that down at the club. And I can get that in my workplace. And I can get that around all my lost friends and all my lost family. Have we lost our distinction in some area? Well, it's time to get it back. Well, how? Well, it's time to inject some, some of God's wisdom into our lives. Set aside your pride. Set aside the offense. Set aside your preferences. Place your desires in the back seat and put God's wisdom in the driver's seat. And you'll find your life, like we see in this passage, going from chaos and strife to peace. Bitterness to forgiveness. And strife to unity. God's wisdom can change all of that. It's had every head bowed. Let's stand together. Every head bowed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.